0: The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. In that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Leave and go away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I am going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day because it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The following is based on a true story. Once there was a church that hated its pastor. They hated him because he was a downer. A big time downer. This guy got up, every week, looked his congregation in the eye and told them that God had revealed his word to them in scripture and that what God revealed to them in his word must overrule the thoughts and opinions of their own minds. So they did not get to be in control of what they should believe and think and do. He also told the people in this congregation that they needed to take their sin seriously, To acknowledge their sin before God and ask him for forgiveness. And that if they did not do that, they were doomed. And they really didn't like to hear that. So they warned him. They told him to knock it off. And they told him to tell them that God is whoever they want God to be. And they get to tell God what to say. And they get to live their lives however they want to live it. And not worry because they're never going to have to pay the price for the things that they are doing but this guy was stubborn and he refused to back down and he kept talking about the authority of God's Word and sin and repentance and finally they got so mad at him they killed him and they rolled him up in a spare rug from the church's attic and dropped him in the parish dumpster a few months later the synod president visited that congregation and informed them that although the treatment of their previous pastor had been less than ideal they would still be receiving a new pastor from the upcoming seminary graduating class. And the people in the congregation looked the synod president in the eye and said, don't bother, because if you send another guy in here who talks the way the last one did, he's going to get it the same way. Well, the synod sent him a new pastor anyway. And sure enough, after a little while, they chased him out of town to the middle of a cornfield, and they told him if he ever came back, he was a dead man. Later that year, the synod president came back to the congregation and informed them that once again they would be receiving as a new pastor a graduate from the next seminary class. And once again, they told the synod president not to bother and that if he came in and talked the way the last two did, he would get the same thing. Well, they sent that congregation another pastor and sure enough, he said the same things and they treated him just the same. Because you see, it wasn't really the messenger that the people in this congregation had a problem with. It was the message. It was what they were saying. So it really didn't matter how many people came, or how many people told them these same things. They were always going to abuse those people in the worst kinds of way. Now, as crazy and unrealistic as that story may sound, what I said at the beginning of it is a fact. It is based on a true story. It is based on the story of God, his prophets, and his Old Testament church. In the Old Testament, God's church was his chosen nation of Israel. And to that chosen nation of Israel, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet with a very consistent message. God has revealed his word to you, and he made you. So he gets to tell you what to think and believe and do, not the other way around. You don't get to make God into what you want him to be and tell him what to think. And you need to take your sins seriously and you need to turn to the Lord and ask him to forgive those sins. Now, if you do that, the Lord's forgiving arms are always wide open to you. Anytime you repent, turn to him for forgiveness. But if you don't, it's curtains for you. You're done. And the people in Israel really did not appreciate that message. By and large, there were always a few who were faithful to the Lord and kept following him. But for the most part, those prophets were run out of town. They were abused in some of the most imaginative and creative ways, and they were often killed. And yet God kept sending messenger after prophet after prophet after prophet, until finally God sent the prophet who is more than just a prophet. He sent the capital P prophet, who is also the Son of God. Now, can you imagine, in that ridiculous story that I told at the beginning, can you imagine if one of those seminary graduates that the president sent into that murderous, hateful congregation were his own son? He would have to be insane to do something like that. But that is what God did with his son, Jesus Christ, to that nation of Israel that had rejected the message of repentance over and over and over again, prophet after prophet after prophet, even to them, God sent his own son with that message. Now you could look at that from a human perspective and say, that's crazy. You could look at it from a human perspective and even maybe accuse God of being unloving toward his own son, because what loving father would send his own son into a scenario like that? But if you look at that action from God's perspective, And from the perspective of the converted heart, that action of sending his own son into Israel was the height of divine love. And it shows you just how determined God the Father was to save his chosen people and call them back into his arms. And he did not spare anything in that effort, not even his own son. Even his own son he sent into that situation to call the people Back to him. And when Jesus obediently submitted to the will of his Father and he came down to this world and entered that nation of Israel, he showed that he was just as determined to save as his Heavenly Father. And that is why Jesus let nothing and nobody stop him from embracing his cross, no matter how powerful and no matter how threatening. In that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Leave and go away from here because Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I am going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. Jesus was absolutely going to do what needed to be done to pay for the sins of those people. He was going to carry to completion the holy life that needed to be lived in the place of those people to make up for their sins of rejection and all of their other sins. He was going to make it to the cross where he would bleed and die as the sacrifice for their rejection and for all of their other sins. And on the third day, after paying for those sins, Jesus was going to reach his final goal, rising from the dead, On the third day of Easter, Jesus was fully determined to do everything that needed to be done to save those people. And as sad as it is, as determined as Jesus was to save them, they simply did not want it. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day, because it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. The people of Jerusalem who had rejected prophet after prophet also rejected the prophet. And it wasn't at all because Jesus didn't want them. What an amazingly tender picture that is when Jesus speaks of himself being like a hen that holds out its wing, people, the chicks of Jerusalem and wants with all his heart to gather them toward himself and hold them forever under his wing under the love and protection of his embrace. That is Jesus' deepest desire, but they simply do not want it. And how do you explain that? How do you explain the Son of God coming and holding out his wing and saying, come here to me, come to my love and forgiveness and people batting it away? You really can't explain it other than to say about it what Jesus said. They were not willing. They simply did not want it. But you know, it wasn't just the church in Israel that God the Father was so determined to save that he sent his Son And it wasn't just the people of Jerusalem that Jesus desired with all of his heart to gather under his wing and hold on to them forever. It was the whole world. Jesus was that determined to do that work to save you and me too. And he let nothing stop him from saving you and me. Not crazy King Herod. Not these hard-hearted Pharisees or venomous Sadducees. He did not let Satan himself in the wilderness pull Jesus off the track toward the cross. You know, sometimes even Jesus' own friends, even his own disciples did not understand what this salvation was all about. They misunderstood Jesus' mission. Sometimes Jesus' own disciples tried to tug him away from the cross, but he didn't let that work either. And not even the shame and the humiliation of a public painful execution for the Son of God, not even that let Jesus, not even that, stop Jesus and the really beautiful thing for us is that the Holy Spirit has given us faith to move us under Jesus wing through faith in Jesus we are in his embrace the warmth of his love the embrace of his forgiveness and he (coughs) is holding on to us forever that is the most beautiful part of this truth is that by God's grace we are under Jesus' wing and we will be forever. That does also leave the question, though, since we are under Jesus' wing, because we are his baptized children, why do we sometimes show at least a little bit of that same kind of rejection as the people in Jerusalem? Now, we may not be violent about it. We might not murder anybody or chase anybody out of town. Of course, the rejection that we show does not reach up to the level of those people in Jerusalem. We have not outright rejected Jesus and walked away from Him in unbelief, but we do occasionally at least show some tendencies toward this in our lives as Christians. For example, let's say you have a Christian who is going through a crisis, really difficult time in life, and this Christian in a crisis turns everywhere and to everybody except their Savior, right? They go to their friends and their family for comfort and encouragement. They go to coworkers and neighbors who they maybe don't even know all that well, but they never really bother to listen to the voice of their Savior in his word and, and listen to what Jesus has to say to them, that difficult time they're going through in life. Now, that's not violent, right? That's not outright, total rejection of the Savior, but... It is there a little bit in that attitude and in that action, right? Or, let's say when uh, your pastor talks to you about your sin and your need to repent. You may not have murderous thoughts, hopefully you don't, but when it comes to that part of the message, you may not exactly want to tune right into that part of of the message either, right? I mean, sin and repentance and all this, where are we now? The Middle Ages or what? Why can't he just tell a couple of stories, teach us how to be happy, and then send us on our way to brunch. Now again, that's not violent rejection. It's not outright rejection of Jesus Christ, but it is there a little bit in the the way that we think and the way that we act towards God's word. Now, if it's impossible to explain how the people of Israel who had the advantages of getting prophet after prophet sent to them and having the temple worship and the sacrifices and the Old Testament scriptures, if it's impossible to explain how they could reject Jesus, it's also pretty hard to explain how we, who do have faith in Jesus, we who have been brought under his wing, how we could show any least little trace of this kind of stuff in our own actions and in our own attitudes. And that is why it is very good news for us that through all rejection and all resistance of all kinds, God remains fully determined to save his people. He was so determined that he sent his son into that hostile environment, and Jesus was so determined that he let nothing keep him away from his cross. And that is why, at the end of today's gospel, Jesus closes with words of hope. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Of course, it was on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he heard those words from the believing crowds who were waiting for him and welcoming him. Jesus is predicting here, nothing you throw at me is going to work. I'm going to get there and I'm going to get it done. And because of that desire and will of our Savior to take our sins away, God saves us and forgives us. And now when God extends his saving word to us every time, every way, we leave behind whatever in us has been unwilling and we gather under the wing of our Savior. We see our Lord's great love for us in the cross of our Savior Jesus and we will see God's great love for us again when Jesus reaches his final goal bright and early on the third day. So, we gather to him Amen.